Good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. If you are our guest, we are uh, so glad that you are here with us. Um, man, I, I like the stripped down kind of, you know, guitar in the cajon for worship. That was awesome. Kind of, kind of doing an unplugged version. Very, very good. Um, we are in a series, uh, Jonah, not about a fish. We are ending it today. If you um, kind of have not been here for the last week, I would encourage you, go online, check out the message online. You can either hear them or watch them, depending on what's online, I don't remember. But anyway, go there and certainly uh, participate in it. We're going to land the plane with Jonah uh, today, and then next week we'll start a new series that I'm super excited about, and I think uh, you'll love it, called Overflow, and we're going to actually unveil a new initiative next week. So do do not miss next week. You're going to want to be here to hear about what we can do together to make impact uh, in this world we're in. And so make sure you come back. But uh, I thought we would start today with a story from, that Jesus told. Uh, people don't normally complain when you talk about Jesus, and so we'll go there. Uh, it was a story about compassion and forgiveness, kind of highlighting compassion in forgiveness. And uh, basically, uh, his disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, uh, how, how forgiving should we be? And Jesus says, well, you should be very forgiving. In fact, you should forgive 70 upon 7. So just always forgiving, always having compassion, always having mercy. And then he tells this story to make his point. He says there was this guy who, owned, who owed a lot of money. He owed a lot of money to the king. And he owed so much money to the king that the king came to him and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell you, sell your wife, sell your kids, and sell all your possessions so that I can have the money that you owe me. And so basically, because you owe me so much, you are now enslaved to me because I'm your debtor, so to speak. I'm going to sell you into slavery, get money for that, sell your possessions, and I'm going to take the money that you owe me from that. At this, the guy was so distraught, he dropped to his knees and he says, please, please, please give me more time. I'll pay you everything back. I promise every single cent will be paid back. I just need more time. Please don't disrupt my family. Please don't do this. Please have mercy on me. Have compassion on me. And Jesus tells a story. And the king was so profoundly impacted by the man dropping to his knees and begging for mercy and compassion that he said, you know what, I'm gonna do one step better. I'm gonna forgive the entire debt. I'm gonna forgive the entire debt to you and your family and your kids so that you have no more debt. Well, interestingly enough, later on in this little parable that Jesus is telling, Jesus finds out that this same guy that he just forgave and, and gave a great deal of compassion and mercy to, he ends up in a similar situation. This time, he with his servant. And so his servant is in debt to him. And you got to understand, at this point in the story, everybody's thinking, okay, we see what's happening here, Jesus. Just like the king forgave and had compassion and had mercy on, on, on this subject, this guy's going to have mercy and compassion on his servant, right? Well, here's what happens. This guy owned, owed the king, let's say, tens of thousands of dollars, and this servant owes him hundreds of dollars. So even more, you're adding to this fuel of, of course you're going to have compassion. Just as you received compassion, you're going to return it, right? And as the story goes, it comes, the, the servants of the king come and say, that same guy that you forgave, the same guy that you had mercy to, the same guy that you gave compassion to, he had a servant who didn't owe, owe him nearly as much as he owed you. And in response to that, he made sure that guy was beaten and put in jail until he get every cent that he owed. 
And so the very compassion that the king had on his subject was not given in return to his servant. Of course, the king hears this according to the story Jesus tells. And he runs and finds the guys, okay, if that's how you want to handle it, let me put you in jail until every dollar is paid. If you don't believe me, you can look it up for yourself. Write this down, Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 30. If you want to check it out this week, that's Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 30. And today we're going to look at this idea of compassion. Compassion. The man should have been able to say, I've received compassion and I should dole it out as well. Just as I've been given mercy, I should be merciful to others. He should have done that. That's the whole point of the little parable that Jesus was saying. And we're going to look at this idea of compassion today, specifically in the life of Jonah as we wrap up our series. How did Jonah pass a test or not pass the test as it relates to compassion? And how does that relate to me in my life? God, obviously, is a compassionate God, so how do I emulate that? What are the barriers to God-like compassion? We're going to look at that today. What are the barriers to God-like compassion? What inhibits me from being compassionate? What stops me? What are the roadblocks? If compassion is the goal, where am I slipping up? going to kind of look at that today. And so for some of you guys who may be catching on to us midstream and you haven't been here for the entirety of the Jonah series, let me do some kind of refresher on what we've seen in chapters one, two, and three so we can set up chapter four. Okay, now if you haven't seen, I would love for you to go online, check out the messages for sure there. But here's what happens in chapter one. Chapter one says, God says, Jonah, I want you, I want to send you as my prophet. You're going to go speak against these people, the Ninevites. I want you to go speak against them, say their evil has come before me. I want you to go preach against it. I want you go 500 miles in this direction. Jonah says, no, no, no. I'm going 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. So clearly, I do not want to do what you want me to do, God. God goes, oh, really? You think you're in charge? And so he gets on a boat to go 2,000 miles away, and God throws him overboard. All right, after he throws him overboard, that's chapter one, he starts saying, well, I guess I'm not in charge. I guess God is in charge. Now I'm drowning in chapter two, and I start calling out to God, God, uh, I'm drowning. I need you to save me. Now, the interesting thing about this, people look at that as judgment, I think as Brian so prolifically pointed out, but God could have said, fine, Jonah, drown, and I'll send another prophet to, to Nineveh, but he didn't do that. Instead, he said, he got a, a great fish or a great whale, whatever, swallow him. I'm going to spit you back up on land. Hey, Jonah, why don't you think about doing what I asked you to do in the first place? Okay, so in chapter two, God spares him, provides him a great fish to, so he doesn't drown. Chapter three goes, okay, I think I better do what God asked me to do. We don't need to do 15 more chapters like this, so I'm just gonna go now. What I should have done in chapter one, I'm gonna do in chapter three. I'm gonna go to Nineveh, and I'm gonna go preach against that city, just as God said, hey, you know what? In 40 days, uh, you'll be destroyed, all right? He does that, and what he's hoping doesn't happen does happen, and that is that the Ninevites turn to God and go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, God. I repent. We turn around. We're going to turn towards you now. We, 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 we turn around from our evil ways. We're so sorry. Have mercy on us. Have compassion on us. That's what happens in chapter 3. And today, we're going to look at chapter 4 and see what continues to happen. So open your Bible right now, chapter 4. If you've been with us any, any length of time so far, you're going to know this is a high value to us. So bring the Word of God when you come to church, even if it's on your phone. Highlight. Take notes. There's a note card in your, in your, uh, in your program that you can take notes on. Do you know how, the pers- you know how you know the person next to you really loves Jesus? If they're taking notes. Okay. So... <laughs> 
Jonah chapter 4 is what we're going to look at. And the question on the screen is going to say this. What roadblocks might you find on the path to compassion? What roadblocks might you find on the path to compassion? The first roadblock you might find is hard-heartedness. That's the first thing we're going to see. Hard-heartedness. I cannot have compassion for something or someone if my heart is hard. If it's, if it, if it's a heart of stone, you will not find me having compassion towards anyone if that's where my heart is. At. And that's what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at it together. But Jonah was greatly displeased, even becoming angry. And he prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, this is, not, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Torical question. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. You wanted me to go 500 miles this way. I went 2,000 miles the other way. This is why. Because I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God. There was that word compassion. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to be die than to live. I love the Lord's response here in verse 4. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? All right, so we're going to unpack this a little bit. Uh, what, are, what, what roadblocks are there on the path to compassion? Number one is hard-heartedness. If my heart is hard, I'm not going to be able to find compassion in it. So here's the situation. Uh, Jonah goes, hey, God, this is, here, here's, here's the whole thing. This is why I didn't want to go there in the first place. As I go there, I tell them you're going to destroy them. And if they turn around, I knew that you are a loving, compassionate God, and you'd forgive them. That's the whole reason I didn't want to go in the first place. I was hoping that if I didn't go, you would have to destroy them. I want them destroyed is the idea. He's specifically calling God out on his compassion. Jonah, a prophet, saying, God, you're too compassionate for me. If, if, if we looked at my standard of compassion, you're off the charts, and I'm evaluating you, God, on your compassion. He says, I knew you would be compassionate. I knew you would be slow to anger. I knew you would be abundant in loving kindness or abounding in love. It's the hesed love. That's the, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The covenant love, the hesed love. It, it carries the idea of, being, of kindness, loyalty, unfailing love. It's the word that, that God uses to express his redemptive qualities. I knew that you were redemptive in this type of love that you carried, the, the hesed love of God. I knew that was you, that was your character. And if I went there and preached against it and they turned around, I knew you would forgive them. I knew you would have compassion on them. I knew you would have mercy on them. I knew you were the God, the, the one who relents concerning calamity. The idea is this, Jonah's saying, this is just like that sort of thing you always do, God. I knew you would have mercy on them. And that's why I didn't want to go. Because in my heart, I didn't want to see them get a chance to turn around and see them be forgiven. And you, you look at back in chapter 3, and, and when he goes, he almost kind of reluctantly goes even. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, Nineveh, if you guys don't turn around, then God's going to destroy you. He doesn't say that. He says like seven words. Hey, by the way, Nineveh, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. I'm out. 
That's all he does. He didn't, he didn't say anything else. You know, I, I just, I'm going to tell you what God told me to do. I'm going to the least common denominator. That's what he told me to do. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good to go. I still want, I want, I'm hoping God destroys you. That, that's his heart. He's a hard heart. Okay? Not to mention the racial divide that you have in this chapter or in this book. I'm Jewish. They're not. I'm racially against them. I don't like them for what they represent. I don't like that they're a vicious culture. Uh, they're known for skinning people alive. I don't like that. And so I'm racially against them, I, I culturally against them. I want God to destroy them. That's his heart. That's his attitude. He wants them to take him out. Finally, he says, God, fine, if this is the way you're going to do it, then please just, just end my life. Would you just end my life? I'd rather be dead than live another day where God's compassion rules the day. That's what he's saying to God. <laughs> I love God's response. Did you catch it in, in, uh, in uh, verse 4? But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? If you have a different translation, might say this. Do you have any good reason to be angry? It's just such a profound little thing here. You go, oh, that's, you know, calm. Well, just think of it. Here, here is a prophet evaluating God. And, and God, instead of rebuking him and hit him in the face, going, yeah, I'm God, you know. He could have done that. Instead, he just asked this, like, tender question. Do you have any good reason to be angry? You ever have people in your life who can just, like, you know, maybe you're all rattled up and you're all, you know, kind of in a funk and they can just kind of peacefully, quietly ask you a question and it just kind of settles you down. Like my wife can do that. I'll be all rattled up and she'll say, have you thought about this? No, I haven't thought about that woman. <laughs> but then I'll think about it and then it's like, and I never say woman, by the way, only on the stage. And, so, <laughs> and, and I'll think about it. I'm like, you know, she's right. She just has that settling nature about her. You know, it's like a nice little, 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 it's like a little Nerf ball jab. Let me just throw this into the consideration here. You know, uh, Kenny in our church, he has that way with me too. He'll be in my office and I'm, you know, bent out of shape about something. He'll just say something and just kind of smooths me out. Uh, Kevin, the chairman of our elder board, same thing. He can, you know, just smooth me out a little bit. There's sometimes, and that's what's kind of going on here. Here, here you know, Jonah's spewing out. He's all upset and angry and bothered about something. And God goes, do you have any good reason to be angry? I mean, just think about it for a second. You're a human being calling God on the carpet. Note to self, God doesn't answer to you. God doesn't answer to me or you. God is God. He is above. We are below. And so, Jonah, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're flipping the org chart. You're, 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 you're out of order here. You're reversing the pecking order. Go ask Job in Job 38 what happened when you questioned God. In fact, you can look it up. Go ask Job when, when God comes back and says, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Well, you asking me questions. Let me ask you some questions. How in the world did we get this to, to, to be created? If you think you can ask me questions. No, 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 Jonah, you're below, I'm above. And yet instead of coming down harshly on him, he comes down with this sweet little question. Do you really have anything to be upset about? Do you have any good reason to be angry? Instead of rebuking him, he just asked him a simple question. I want us to remember that question because that question is going to come back again later on in chapter 4. So clear from the interaction between God and Jonah. Jonah is taking umbrage with God for the compassion that he's willing to display. 
Your compassion isn't measuring up to mine, God. And because of that, we see a hard-heartedness. And if we're ever gonna get past this, 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 this desire of ours to be like God and to embody his, his, his compassion and mercy to the world, we're gonna have to get past all the stone-heartedness that we have in our heart. We're gonna have to break, God's gonna have to break that down for us so that we can have compassion and embody the very compassion of God. But not only this, not only this, what roadblocks might you find on the path to compassion? Number one is hard hardness. Number two, selfishness. Selfishness. You're not going to be able to find compassion if all you're doing is thinking about yourself. You're not going to be able to put others in a place where God want to elevate you and compassionately think of you. If I'm too busy thinking about myself, I won't even think of them. And so let's look at that. Selfishness, verse 5. Let's look at this together. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine. What's that provide? We see provided a lot in the book of Jonah. He provided a lot. He provided the fish, the great fish. Here he provides a vine. Made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God did what? Provided, he used that same word again, God provided a worm, which chewed up the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God did what? Provided again, this time a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to be dead than alive. Again, we have that same kind of argument. And here we have in verse nine, God said, God said to Jonah, do you really have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprung up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? What roadblocks do I need to overcome if I'm going to embody the compassion of God? Number two is selfishness. And here we use a big, huge object lesson. He's trying to, uh, God's like not only telling Jonah what he needs to think, he's now trying to show him through an object lesson. So the situation is Jonah goes out, outside the city, and he builds himself a hut of sorts. Now this is the desert, so you got to understand there's not, there's not trees, there's not branches, there's not a lot of shrubbery. Uh, so he's building himself a hut, three walls made of stone. And the idea is a scorching wind in the desert. Man, hopefully the sun hits, the, hits it this way and I can stay under the, the shade a little bit. And I'm trying to find a way to reprieve from all the heat, the scorching heat, the scorching winds of the desert. And really the heart is I'm going to sit out there and I want to see a firework show. I'm going to sit outside the city of Nineveh and I'm going to have you know, front row seats to see the fireworks when God takes them out. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, I want to see it. That's his heart. And he's sitting out there, and it's blazing hot. And God does something gracious and compassionate for him. He has this vine or a plant of some sort with a big leaf. Overnight, miraculously goes, and it covers him so that he has shade. 
where he couldn't find shade because he didn't have a roof because there's no way to build a roof in the desert. Uh, now he has a little bit of a roof shade-like thing with a vine that goes over. And it says, did you catch that? And he was very happy. Did you see that? It grew up over Jonah, gave him shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. Did you know there's only one place in all the book of Jonah that says he was happy? And it was in relation to his own comfort. Not, not in I'm not happy in chapter one to do what you, what you told me to do. God, I don't want to do it. I'm not happy in chapter two because I'm drowning. I have to call out to you so you save me. I'm not happy in chapter three because I finally go do what you told me to do, and now they repent, and now you're going to forgive them. And I'm not happy in chapter four because it seems like you're going to forgive them, and I don't Man, I'm hoping that something I said to you in this argument, maybe I won you over, and now you're going to take them out because I'm taking front row seats. Man, I want to see a fireworks show. That's where he's at. That's where, he at. That's where he's at in his heart. Temporary happiness. I'm happy, God, when you have compassion on me, covered me with shade. That makes me happy. I'm not happy, God, when you have compassion on my enemies. I'm not okay with that. So we know from the desert time, uh, you know, east, east, heat, winds, bright sun would be scorching. The temperatures would rise as the wind would come. The humidity would fall. It's just debilitating. And so it'd be right for him to be excited that he has some shade. He needs it to be able to survive that. But he's making a point to Jonah. Provided the shade, but then he also provided the worm that ate the shade, and then he also provided the east winds that's gonna be scorching on him to the point where he wants to die. There's obviously, God is trying to lead him somewhere with this. There's an object lesson that he's trying to show him. And then he, he, he gives us the purpose of that object lesson when he asks the same question. Did you see it? Verse nine. But God said, do you have the right, any right, any good reason to be angry about the plant? Do you have any good reason to be angry about the pen? Jonah says, oh yeah, of course I do. Man, I'm angry enough to die. And the idea is, how is it that you can have more compassion over the death of a plant than you would have compassion over the death of 120,000 people? Jonah, how is it that you can have more compassion over a plant 